Well, good morning. Glad to see everyone here. Well, you know, one of my favorite things to do in the summer, as it now is, is to watch football. Um, And while I really enjoy watching football at home, I especially enjoy it when I'm able to actually go to a game and watch it in person. And I think there's several reasons why that's the case. Uh, But at least one of those reasons is that there's just something wonderful about sitting and cheering with 30,000 other people um, when you're united with them, cheering for the same thing, and you've got this common goal. Okay? Um, Now, maybe you're not a football fan, but you can probably recognize a similar feeling that comes maybe as, as Canada's about to play for the gold medal, or as your hockey team is suddenly making this promising run through the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's this feeling of of unity that comes in those things. Or maybe you're not even a sports fan. That's okay. Um, But, well, you can at least understand some interest that brings people together in a similar way. Um, Maybe it's a favorite band that gets up on stage and, and you cheer for them. Or maybe even it's a project at work that you work together with a group of people on and there's a sense of accomplishment, this this sense of of common celebration as you complete that project together. Um, You know, often this sense of unity is actually amplified when we meet adversity. So, for example, this week we had this hailstorm that hit the city and... In particular, it seemed to hit this area of the city pretty hard. Uh, If you get a chance to go look up some pictures, there was over just at Marlborough Ford here, um, there were some of the trucks that were pretty much entirely covered in water um, because it got so deep. Um, But this caused me to reflect back a couple of years to, of course, the, the floods that hit in June of 2013. And I would never call those floods a good thing because obviously they caused a lot of loss and a lot of damage to a lot of people. Um, But if there was any silver lining to that event, it was the fact that it united our community. It brought people together as we had this common goal in the days, weeks, and months that followed that event. And so the point that I'm trying to make here is that we all have a desire for unity. We have this desire to work together with a common goal. So far this summer, we've been talking about the church and the things that it does really well. We've been talking about the church at its best. And this morning, we're actually going to begin to shift a little bit to talk about the other darker side of church history, the church at its worst. And unfortunately, this area of unity is one of those areas where the church has all too often done poorly. And so this morning, I just want to begin by acknowledging that the church which is supposed to be a great example of unity, has instead all too often been a great example of disunity. We could see this if we just took a brief look through church history. Uh, I'll begin maybe in the year 1054. This is when we had what is called the Great Schism. The church in the West and the church in the East divided. And so that's where we ended up with, in the West, the Roman Catholic Church, in the East, what you might call the Eastern Orthodox Church. There was a split. Uh, About 500 years later, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses. It began the Reformation. There were many good things about the Reformation, 
But there was also this sense of division that happened with that event. And the next thing you know, you've got Catholics persecuting Protestants, as well as Protestants persecuting Catholics. Uh, it, it, about 100 years later, we ended up with this war called the Thirty Years' War. Uh, and it began as a conflict between these two groups, between the Catholic and Protestant um, churches. And it's been called one of the longest and most destructive conflicts in the history of Europe. And of course, we still see this tension in some parts of the world even today. Uh, I would think, for example, of a place like Northern Ireland, uh, where that might be the case. And not only was there this split between Protestants and Catholics, but even within Protestants, there were all sorts of splits. And so that's why we have today so many different denominations. Uh, For the most part, those weren't the result of some sort of unity. Those were the result of a divide, of a conflict, something that divided the church. Uh, we, We could see that if we looked even at our own church and the group that we're a part of, the restoration movement. Uh, And it actually began as a unity movement. It brought several of those denominations together and said, we want to be united. We think this is important. But it didn't take long before we had our own splits, at least two major splits, more smaller ones. And so today we have at least three very distinct and separate groups within our churches. And so we can see that all too often, The church has been divided. Well, what's the result of this lack of unity? Our witness to the world is severely diminished. After all, if we can't even love ourselves, if we can't even love each other, why would the world expect that we could ever love them? As Jesus himself said, a kingdom that is divided against itself cannot stand. Perhaps the worst part of this lack of unity is the fact that it stands in direct conflict with the New Testament's vision for the church, and indeed with Jesus' own vision for the church. We could see this, for example, if we turn to John chapter 13, verse 35. If you've got a Bible, you could turn there. In this passage, it's the night before Jesus is going to go to the cross, he's going to be crucified. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the upper room, and he tells them many, many important things. And in the midst of that, he says these words to them. John 13, 35. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In other words, Jesus is saying, one of the defining characteristics of you as my disciples, as my people, as my church, is that you love one another, that you are united. And so unity is at the center of Jesus' vision for the church. And so I think we need to come before God asking forgiveness for all the ways that we as the church have stood in opposition to this vision. But I also want to be careful. I don't want to paint only a negative view of the church here. The fact is there are also numerous examples, both now and throughout history, of the church doing unity well. And when it does that, it usually does great things. 
And so we have spent the past month or so, the past several sermons, talking about things that the church has done well. And I think if you were to look at those things, in almost every case, the reason the church has been able to do those things so well is because they have, in fact, been united. And so when we talk about the church being benevolent and reaching out and meeting the physical needs of people, well, how is it able to do that so effectively? It's because there is at least some level of unity within the churches that did that. How is the church able to meet the spiritual needs of people? How is the church able to be a place of genuine community? How is it able to uphold the value of family? It's able to do all those things in its unity. I want to look back to a time in my own life where I experienced this contrast between what happens when you, you are united as a church and when you are not united. Um, and I experienced that when I did my Bible college internship in Yellowgrass, Saskatchewan. Uh, you see, I was originally going to go to Saskatchewan to work there with the Instrumental Church of Christ. But before I even arrived, the church shut its doors. And so instead, I found myself working with a combined United and Lutheran church. Um, And then I found that one of the main families that I worked with wasn't even part of that church. They were part of the Evangelical Missionary Church in nearby Weyburn. And suddenly there's four different groups all working together, united, to do something here in Yellowgrass. Now, in my first few months there in Yellowgrass, I spent a lot of time just getting to know the people. Uh, to learn about their history. And one of the things that I quickly discovered is that in their history, a lack of unity in the church had done a lot of harm to that community over the years. You see, in this town of only a few hundred people, there had been three churches. There had been the Church of Christ, there had been the United Church, and there had been the Lutheran Church. And these churches did not work together. These churches worked almost in opposition to one another. And this had left a bad taste in the mouths of the people there in that town. Now, by the time I arrived, things had begun to heal a little bit. As I said, two of these churches, the United Church and the Lutheran Church, had actually united. They had joined together. And they ended up being the group that I worked with to try and reach the community there. And the main way that we planned to do that, the main way we planned to reach the community, was through an after-school children's program. Uh, Once a week, we were going to get together with a bunch of kids, we were going to play some games, we were going to make some crafts, and we were going to teach them about the Bible. And so I set out about making plans to do this. I prepared the program, I started advertising, I was ready to go, and just as we were about to begin, we found out that yet another church in the town down the road, was planning on starting a very, very similar program in our town. And so I called up the pastor. I asked him what they, what they were planning, and he kind of suggested, he said, well, why don't we work together in this? Uh, why don't we do something together? And you know, I have to tell you, I really wanted to tell him no. And the reason that I wanted to tell him no is because I had already put all this work into preparing this program And they wanted to do a few things different. And so some of those things I was going to have to change. A lot of my hard work I was just going to have to throw out. Um, Perhaps most importantly to me was the fact that I was only planning to be there for eight months 
and they couldn't start for another month. And I had already been there for a little while, so that extra month was a big deal for me. That was a whole month that I wasn't going to be able to reach out to those kids. But that's when they could start, and that's how it was going to work. Um, if I'm truly honest, I also uh, could see already, just from that one phone conversation, that there would probably be a few personality conflicts that were going to come out if we ended up working together. And so I wasn't real thrilled about this idea. Now, not only that, but I kind of figured, you know what, if we do start two programs, mine kind of has the advantage because, you see, I actually live in the town here. And uh, I know these people. They trust me. They know me. Uh, he lives in the next town down the road. They don't know him. Um, we're also going to start right away. They're going to start in a month. We're going to have a head start. We're going to build some momentum before they even begin. I've got the advantage here. So I really wanted to say no. We're not going to work with you. We're just going to do our own thing. But, you know, fortunately, I had some trusted people around me that reminded me of the things that a lack of unity in the church had done to this town before. And they were able to talk to me and say, Dustin, you really need to work with this other group because otherwise people are going to see the same lack of unity that they've seen for years and it's going to turn them away. And so by the grace of God, I was able to hear that wisdom and I was able to say, okay, we're going to work together with this other group. We're going to do this together. And so we did. And we started this club and we had all sorts of kids come and we reached them and that was great. And perhaps even more importantly, we were finally able to show that town what it looks like when God's people are united. And I think the results of that are still being felt there today. Obviously, I'm not there anymore. I can't tell you exactly what's going on, but I do know, for example, that this past week, they had another VBS, and they had kids from the community coming, and they were able to reach them. Uh, and that's exciting to me, to know that some of that fruit continues. And I think that unity has a big, uh, big part to do with that. And so I think it's very important that we need to be a church that's characterized by unity and not by disunity. But the question remains, well, how do we do that? And what does that even look like? Well, let's turn back to John 13 once more. And we'll actually go one verse earlier. We'll start at verse 34 this time. And so Jesus says this. He says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And so as we already saw in verse 35, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you need to be united. You need to love one another. But then in the verse before, he also gives us an idea of what that love looks like. The love that we need to have for one another is supposed to be the same kind of love that Jesus has for us. So what does that love look like? Well, John, who recorded these words of Jesus right here, uh, he also defines this love for us a little bit later when he writes uh, one of his letters in the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. John writes here, By this we know love, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Jesus' love here is defined by action and by sacrifice. We cannot simply say that we are united. We need to show it by our actions. And so when someone is in need, we need to be willing to give to them out of our own possessions. We need to care for them so much that we would be willing to even lay down our lives for them just as Jesus laid down his life for us. And you know, if we really had that kind of love for one another, then we certainly wouldn't allow ourselves to become divided over smaller and far less important things. You know, the fact is that unity in many ways is going to require some sort of compromise. It's going to mean that we don't always get our own way. Now, I do want to be a little bit careful about that word compromise. Um, And so I'm just going to make three more quick points about unity. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you three things that unity is not. Now, I don't always like to frame things in the negative like that, um, but I think in doing so, that'll actually help us to understand better what unity is. Um, And so here we go. Unity does not mean, first of all, unity does not mean that we will never disagree. The fact is, we are going to disagree on many things. Unity simply means loving one another in spite of those disagreements. We're going to have different opinions. We're going to have different preferences. But unity is the self-sacrificing love for one another despite all of those differences. It's working together with the common purpose of advancing the kingdom of God despite any disagreements. Unity does not mean that we will never disagree. Unity also does not mean that we do not hold to a certain set of truths. And here's what I mean by that. I think that it is possible to actually focus on unity so much, on accepting one another at all costs, that we could forget what our unity is built upon. Unity always has to have a common foundation. And for the church, that common foundation is Christ. And so that's why, as a church, we actually have a what-we-believe statement. And on that what-we-believe statement, there are 12 non-negotiable beliefs. And you know, most of those 12 are centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Because these are the things that unite us, even in our diversity, even in our disagreements. And so there's many scriptural reasons why we've decided on the 12 particular things that, we have to, um, that we've decided upon as those essentials. Um, and if you'd like to see those scriptures, if you'd like to see those 12, um, those 12 essentials, I'd encourage you, you can either go on our website, calgarycfc.com, um, or you could come talk to me and I could print you off a copy, and you could see what those 12 are, you could see what the scriptures are that support them. Um, but just for a moment here, I'll just give you a couple brief examples of how the New Testament indicates 
that our unity is centered on Jesus Christ. And so I'll begin in 1 Corinthians. Chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 3 to 5. And here Paul gives a brief summary of what the uniting gospel message is. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. In other words, Jesus really did die. Jesus really did rise again on the third day, and Jesus really did show himself to other people to prove that that resurrection was real. For Paul, Jesus and the things that he is and the things that he did are central. They're of the utmost importance. Uh, We see this in Jesus himself as well. The book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 and 39, we read this. The apostle John comes to Jesus and he says to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And so here already we're seeing this disunity. That John comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, this person, well, he's doing something in your name and he's doing something good, but he's not with us, so I I try to stop him. And Jesus says, No, 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 no. We're in this together. And I think one of the central things of what Jesus says there, he says, He was doing this in my name. And so we've got this common center, this common foundation for our unity that we see there, that they're working together in Jesus' name. John, who approached Jesus here, uh, he says something very similar again in in his letter, 1 John, uh, in chapter 3. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And so we see that for Paul, for Jesus, and here for John, Throughout the New Testament, the central uniting feature is the person of Jesus. Who he is, who he was, the things that he has done. These things are the center of our unity. And so, unity does not mean that we will never disagree. Unity does not mean that we, will never, that we do not hold to a certain set of truths. And then finally... Unity does not mean that we do not strive to do what is right. And so we have 12 non-negotiable beliefs. But we also have a section for controversial doctrines. Um, 
areas that we recognize people are going to disagree on these things. And so we acknowledge that, you know what, we can hold different views in these areas and yet still be 100% united. And so these, uh, these areas include our views on leadership, uh, our views on predestination versus free will, what's going to happen at the end times, how we use our spiritual gifts, uh, even the style of music that we use to worship God. These are things that we can disagree on and still be united. But the point that I'm making here with this last point is that even though it's okay to disagree on these things, even though there's going to be diversity in opinions, that doesn't mean that it's not important to do our best to understand God's will in these areas. And so we agree not to allow these things to become points of division, but we also seek to understand God's will and seek to obey him the best that we can in these areas. And yet through that all, we acknowledge that others may come to different conclusions and we're still going to love them and we're going to work together with them, even in spite of disagreement. As we conclude this morning, I want you to think back with me to the examples of division in the church that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, When we went through the history and we saw all the conflicts that divided the church. And I just want you to imagine with me how different this world might be if instead of being divided, instead of fighting against one another, what if Christians had been united around Jesus Christ in those circumstances? What if we had had the common goal of advancing the kingdom of God and work together towards that goal? Imagine how much better we would be at doing the things that we've been talking about for the past month. Imagine how many more hungry people could have been fed. How many more hurting people could have found healing. How many more lonely people could have found a loving community? And how much further could the kingdom of God been advanced in this world if only the church had been united instead of divided? And then I want you to look at yourself. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, how am I going to commit myself to the unity of the church? What are the things in my own life and in my own heart that I have allowed to become a point of division? What is it within me that is dividing me from other Christians? And am I willing to surrender those things to God? Am I willing to let go of those things and to choose instead to love with a sacrificial love? Am I willing to love my brothers and my sisters in Christ so that the world will know that we truly are his disciples? Would you pray with me? Dear God, we come before you this morning and we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you would love us so much that you would be willing to sacrifice your own son 
to die for us. And God, we come before you this morning and and we acknowledge that that you're a God that wants to see unity. God, you are a God of unity. We see it even in you, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know that you want the same thing for your church. And so God, I just pray this morning that you would help us to live that out. Help us to live in that image. Help us to reflect that sacrificial love that you showed for us. God, help us to see within ourselves the, the areas that are, that are dividing us from others and help us to break down those walls. Pray that your spirit would be working in the hearts of the people here, God, in my own heart, uh, that you would overcome those things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.